Hello and welcome to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today we tackle a topic that is um, on everyone's tongue nowadays. When you go into meetings, you, you talk amongst yourselves at the dinner table. The forward momentum of Erie, Pennsylvania is always a topic of conversation. Uh, many people feel that right now is a time for optimism. It's a time that uh, people feel that things are going in the right direction. I had the privilege of going to a, a meeting, the annual meeting for the Erie Community Foundation this year. And they had a video called Our Time Is Now. I thought that there were many segments of that video that adequately expressed that optimism. Uh, here's Mayor Schember's take from that video. The level of collaboration that exists now in, in all of Erie County is just incredible. I actually feel lucky that I got elected mayor right now with everything that's coming together. And I'm, I'm not talking about a human lifetime, I'm talking about the city's lifetime. This is our opportunity, let's make it happen, let's transform Erie. We've developed a new downtown master plan. It's connected to the city's Erie Refocus Plan, and it talks about creating a new, more vibrant, more active downtown for people who want to come, live, work, play, and to be part of a, a growing community. There is a wave of excitement. The atmosphere is changing here. We want to be a part of it. Uh, the cultural community, the African-American community, those in the low economic realm, we want to be a part of, of the excitement that is in the air in Erie, Pennsylvania. So you heard from Mayor Schimber, uh, John Bookner from the Downtown uh, Partnership, and from Bishop Brock of the Eagle's Nest. Three different takes, all on the same subject. There seems to be something different about what's going on in Erie right now compared to times past. And uh, a constant question is, are we actually elevating new voices into this dialogue? Uh, is it the same business as usual, or are we going in a different direction actually? So today we wanted to highlight two different segments. In the first segment, we'll talk to people that are the new voices in community, if you will. In the second segment, stay tuned, we'll have different people that are bringing voices to the table from our economic development sector, the team of EDDC and Brett Weiler. But first, I bring to you uh, Ms. Vanessa Bellin. Welcome to the show. Good morning. From the Governor's Council on Latino Affairs. And Tyler Titus of the School Board. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nikan Astari Carpenter, liaison to the New American Community for Mayor Shimmer's administration. Nikan, welcome to the show. Good morning, thank you. And Michael Outlaw, AKA The Bridge, <laughs> a liaison to the African American community um, for the mayor's administration. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. All right, so we'll start with uh, Vanessa. First of all, I'm very excited about everybody on this show today. This is kind of a teaser, full disclosure, uh, for anybody who's listening right now, or watching right now, because these are the voices that you will hear from on a continual basis, if you will. Uh, on this show throughout the year, but I wanted to just give you a snippet of these different personalities because I'm excited that each of them have, has been given a voice in community. Vanessa, I'll start with you because you represent a demographic that many view as the national sleeping giant, the Latino community. I'll give you a couple of bites that I read um, in an article by Octavio Blanco for CNN Money. As according to the article said, Latinos launched 86% of all new businesses in the US was an interesting fact. A 2017 NBC article by Stephen A. Nuno uh, says that the Latino GDP today is growing 70% faster than the country's non-Latino GDP. So in many cities, we have figured out that this is a demographic and a voice that we should be engaging. Um, talk to us a little bit about your role on the Governor's Council and what that means. Well, I get to be the voice for Erie County uh, something that we don't actually have a Latino person uh, in a position as far as local or even on a county level. Uh, I was brought in about a year ago 
I honestly didn't even know commissioner for Latino affairs even existed. And I was always that one person who's like, why don't we have anybody? And one day I got the call. Uh, we get to be a goodwill ambassador, a spokesperson on behalf of the governor for our city, um, well, county. Um, we get to sit at the table and discuss policies, procedures, legislations uh, that can affect the Latino community, mm -hmm. which is huge. Because I did, again, I didn't even know that we even had that kind of representation at the table. Um, apparently, the commissions have been around for probably almost 20 years. Unfortunately, not around here, though. Mm -hmm. And so you come forward at a time when it's, uh, it's time to kind of have some impact on the day-to-day -day affairs in Erie. Yes. So as far as like what you were talking about with the article and the growing percentage of the Latino community in the U.S., I would like to see something like that happen in our city. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have very few businesses that are ran by Latinos. I mean, do we even have a Latino CEO running a company? You don't really hear about that. It would be nice to at some point have somebody on city council, county council, you never know, even in the mayor's office one day. So as small as it kind of feels like the position is, I, I just, I'm coming with the voice, I'm demanding to be at the table and be heard. Excellent. So Tyler, there was an interesting article about you in the Erie Times and um, the title said it all, LGBTQ political pioneer. <laughs> it's a lofty term, that Tyler Titus, makes mark in Erie. And it talked about you being elected to the school board, but not only that, being the first openly transgender, transgender person to win public office in Pennsylvania. Yes. Talk about this very unique role, because you also serve on the governor's council for yes. uh, the affairs of this demographic as well. Talk about that a little bit. So this all kind of came as a whirlwind. It really did. Um, um, you know, just just like she was sharing, is that you can see all these all these things kind of funneling in, and in the the time is now. Um, we were talking a little bit about how you know there there are pioneers, and everybody has a voice and or an opportunity. And I know my opportunity is right now, much like those that I'll be sitting at the table with. And so I had to seize it. Um, when it comes to you know serving on the school board, I saw an underrepresentation of not just I I didn't run because I was trans. Mm -hmm. um, I ran um, as a person who had a lot of belief in our school system. I could see that there were gaps uh, missing. Kids were being under misunderstood, teachers misunderstood, um, and that's why I ran. I just so happened to be trans. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's what pushed me forward. Um, but when it came to the the governor's, you know, his LGBTQ commission that he just he just created, um, I was asked to serve as as a co-chair, and I couldn't be more humbled. Um, to, to know that he sees what's happening in Erie um, and that the supports that we've been able to rally and kind of move some of our voices forward and he wanted that represented throughout the whole state, which I think is, is awesome and amazing. One of the things that I noticed about you, many people notice about you, is that you are, you are extremely active. And school board's kind of an interesting seat. You know, every now and then it's hit or miss. You'll get school board members that, that get on the board and they are extremely visible in community. They do a lot of things. They really make their presence felt. Others, not so much, and it's been the pattern over the years. You are extremely active. One of the things that I noticed about you, and I want you to speak to this a little bit, I was in the room when uh, the Secretary of Education was in town, Betsy DeVos, and you spoke eloquently on behalf of the students of the Erie School District, but I found it interesting that you had school board members outside protesting. You were inside. Now, I've listened to this debate behind closed doors on, you're an elected official, you should be in that room. You made the decision to honor your voters in that way. Talk about that decision and um, 
Did you get any pushback from people about that? Um, I got a little bit. I got a little bit of pushback. You know, they wanted me outside, and my heart was outside. I, w I wanted to be there with them, but there was a voice out there, and they were represented out there. What they didn't have is they didn't have somebody at the table who I I was given an opportunity to speak on behalf of the students. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be able to go to bed that night if I had given up that opportunity to stand outside. If I was in that room, she had to look at me and she had to listen. If I was outside, she could have walked right past and that's what she did, she walked past everybody. But I knew if I was literally at that table, she had no option but to look me in my face and listen to what I had to say. Mm -hmm. Responsible representation. Nika Nastari Carpenter, you have a fascinating story. First, let me say, uh, Erie Readers, 40 under 40. Wonderful photo you have in there. Uh, I want to read a clip from that. Before coming to America, Carpenter went from selling ice cream or ice in front of a kindergarten in a slum area of, help me with the, with the Surabaya? Surabaya. So, okay. To serving as a judge in the Indonesian court system. Yes. After having studied law at the University of Indonesia. Your little powerhouse. <laughs> Talk about that experience. I thought that was one of the more fascinating things I'd read about you. Well, uh, my parents got married when they were just teenagers, you know, they were busy to struggle with their own life. And so I was kind of a little bit, uh, you know, like, because they're busy, so uh, neighbors, other family members took in, uh, taking care of me. And so I found out that, you know, I, uh, at that time, if, if I keep doing this, I was just like, very, 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 uh, I don't know, around three or four year old, you know, I look at kids going to school and how I thought that, how can I go to school too? It looks like fun, you know? So uh, one of my neighbors said that, would, 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 you, would you sell ice in front of that kindergarten over there? So I said, can I get the ice though? Can I eat a couple of them? And she said, yeah. So that's how it, how it happened. So I brought this thermos the bucket, the ice bucket, in front of the kindergarten. And then the teacher, uh, she came to me and then she said, like, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm going to sell ice. And she said, you are not allowed to sell ice in front of the kindergarten. If you want to sell ice, you carry that bucket, go inside the classroom, put it down, and you sit in front. And once the bell rings, then you can sell the ice. Mm. And that's how she trapped me into education. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you about your, your role bridging the gap between City Hall and the New American community. How has that played out for you so far? It, it's very exciting. You know, like um, I myself was an immigrant. I came here in 2011. Uh, even for me, it was a struggle to with first with the weather of course you know like indonesia is two season countries and then here in america i have to deal with the different weather especially with the extreme winter last last year uh, every every winter is just adjustment for me and uh language barrier although i learned uh english since i was in middle school the way you guys talk here is different like you said hold your horses like Where's the horse, right? <laughs> uh, unique expression here in <laughs> Yeah, and then um, cultural cultural uh, barrier too, because um, people here are so speak up, you mm. know, f all about the voice. But um, I grew up in, in as a Japanese woman in an Asian country. Um, it, you know, we don't talk about things, you know, so uh, like, even with my own husband. My husband said, like, 
okay, tell me, tell me what do you think about this? It's good. And he said, no, no, tell me about it. You know, like express the it, expressive, right, right. express it. So uh, that, that was part of my challenge too. Uh, and then, uh, you know, like I was, as you said, I was practicing law in my home country. And then here I wanted to continue that. And uh, I, I couldn't find somebody who could guide me to go to that, uh, you know, Okay, so I did my research online. Uh, there are several universities uh, around Erie, but not in Erie. You know, like, how am I supposed to get the, uh, uh, to pay the tuition fee if I go back to school? And then what program that would, that would uh, benefit me in the future if I take that program? Things like that. So finding a mentor or guide um, to, to, to get to the point where I'm, uh, I want to be uh, in Erie, it was also... It was also a challenge. Law school, is, it's, it's a difficult road to travel. And um, I can only imagine the differences between your home country and here. So we're going to swing back to you on that role. Michael Outlaw, the, um, you know, I jokingly called you the bridge. Yes, and that was the way they referred to you in Kevin Flowers' article in uh, Times News Once Upon a Time. You bring a lot of different narratives to the table. And I know that your story um, has gone regionally and even nationally to some degree. Uh, because of your background, you know, you've dealt with incarceration. I don't want to steal your thunder, but I think some people know the basis about your story. You dealt with incarceration, um, relative or of, of a homicide victim, um, went back to college, got your master's degree, got your record expunged, the, the big issue of felonies being on people's records. You had that. So you bring the narratives to the table that far too many African-American males in particular deal with which makes you a unique bridge. Talk about your role in City Hall as a liaison to the African-American community. Yes, sir. Well, thanks again for having us on the show. Appreciate Absolutely. this opportunity to be a voice. Um, my role with, the, with this current administration is to begin to identify challenges and concerns across sectors of government, right, and make sure that equity, inclusion, and diversity is forefront in all that we do in the city of Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, I think the days of creating plans and then revisiting the plans after we realize we've missed some, missed some steps is long overdue. So we have to begin to um, think along those lines. Um, so much at stake. Um, Erie's, Erie is at the point of either, we, either we're going to move forward or fall back. Mm -hmm. And I think this administration, I think everyone who's here today is of the mindset that the momentum is here to move Erie forward for the next 10, 20 years and beyond. Um, so issues of um, challenges with, uh, within the police department, right? the SPCP, Strengthening Police and Community Partnership, that, That's big. that, that initiative, um, we've identified at least eight homogenous groups um, because everyone has their own ex personal experience with, with law enforcement. I cannot speak to the new Americans' experience with law enforcement. I can speak to it as a black man. My personal encounters with law enforcement, I can't speak to the Hispanic Latino community. So those certain voices have to be at the table in order to address this issue from a holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is, you know, we're having open, honest, transparent conversation in regards to the police department and community members. Both sides must take uh, responsibility and accountability for their roles in the conversation. Um, we're going to have individuals train diversity trainings, um, critical conversation trainings, um, just be, you know, just again, so we can have the open, honest, transparent conversation that moves us forward. So we can take away that stigma mm -hmm. associated with the community and the law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Tyler hit on something earlier, and you talked about voices that you felt 
were underrepresented. You listened to the video that we just played a second ago. Are you hopeful about some of what you see right now going on in Erie? If so, why? If not, why not? Um, I am very hopeful. I am very hopeful that we have the change agents that we have at the forefront. Um, one, I often will get, I always joke that I, I kind of get pigeonholed into just being in the LGBT uh, sector, and I don't want, I don't want that to be mm -hmm. uh, the case for any one of us. I think we all bring a breadth of knowledge um, that, that goes outside of the minority group that we fit in. Um, and the one group that I, I cannot emphasize enough that I think that often gets overlooked is our um, young adolescent black males. And so I think that people um, are often surprised to see that when they sit in a room with me, that's that's typically the, the group that I most advocate for. Um, you know, we've, we've made leaps and bounds um, in the LGBT community. We have a lot more to go, especially with the trans community. But when it comes to our African um, American males, I think especially in Erie, they are a misunderstood and misunderserved and often ostracized group. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of, and thank you for that, the whole idea of diversity, I think this, this is one of the reasons that all of you have been chosen for the roles that you play, because of this holistic view of society, if you will. Vanessa, with everything that he's saying, you could mirror a lot of that. Oftentimes in society, they will talk about the plight of African-American males and Latino males, because many times, statistically speaking, they are running very parallel in a lot of categories. You're very active in the strength and police community relations thing that Mike is talking about. You're very active in trying to engage young people. Uh, give us a sense for what drives you to, um, to want to be an agent of change that you're being right now. Unfortunately, uh, due to losing my son three years ago to gun violence, that kind of put me in the forefront of what's going on in the city. Not that I was being blind to what's going on, but as a parent, before having to deal with the loss, it was like, oh, you know, be careful, you know, and just always having those talks with the kids and even with their friends about what's going on and just being careful and being aware. Now that I'm that mom who actually did lose a child, it just kind of put me out there to advocate on all different levels, not just to Latino children or teenagers. I speak to everyone's kids. Everything that's going on in the city affects everyone. And the majority happens to just be the young black males. I talk to them all the time. Uh, I'm always ready to take my social media down, and I don't, because that is my way to communicate with the young uh, males in the community as far as uh, minorities. I'm always looking for advice, not knowing who to talk to. No one understands what they're feeling. And I'm still dealing with my own feelings, but I still put that to the side and still listen and, and try to give the best advice that I can give. Mm -hmm. To be clear, there are, there are a lot of people in this city and others that unfortunately have suffered the same fate as you. It takes a special person to repackage that and sacrifice it to the community in the ways that you do. So kudos for you for doing that because you don't have to, and many people choose not to, and that's okay as well. Nikan, give us one of the aha moments okay. with this um, bridge building work you're doing between the New American community and City Hall, because just from watching you on social media, I find myself hang, having a lot of, I didn't know that moments <laughs> from, from some of the groups that you've put to, pushed to the forefront in this role. Give us one of your aha moments. Okay, uh, talking about you know crime and safety here, right? Uh, back in May, we have a newly resettled refugee family here in Erie, and their son got attacked, jumped on by group of kids and got beat off and then you know got robbed the bikes and phone and things like that but then uh, they didn't report it to the police 
And instead, they talk to their uh, caseworker. And I said, why did you talk to the caseworker? Because like there's like a period of time, you know, where police might see the bruises and things like that that can be uh, worth for investigating. But if exhibit is gone, then you know police cannot work on that one, right? So that that, that inspired me to uh, to have to talk to the police department and said like. Uh, and and uh, look, we we have we have a problem here in in the new American community. They don't want to talk directly to the police department. First of all, again, language barrier, and second of all, the um, their experience in their home country uh, that police is not a good person, mm-hmm. that police is a corrupt, uh, you know, entity and things like that. So. Um, and on the other end of the new American, uh, especially the refugees, I see that they have uh, they they trust certain people. In 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 the case of refugees, it's, the, it's their care worker. If they're immigrant, they can be their friends that they know here. So uh, after talking with the BD chief Mike Nolan, uh, Chief Dance Bizarni, uh, and then uh, MCRC, uh, I said, look, let's let's have a pilot project on how to report a crime. Uh, for English as a second language community. And we had that, it was very powerful. It's uh, like for both sides, for the police department and for the caseworker, they're learning something that probably they're not aware before. So I hear two things. I hear first that this experience from their home country, you know, it's common sense that you bring that experience with you. For me, I didn't necessarily associate it with how do you view law enforcement? So that's an interesting finding. And the other thing is just the, the trust factor. Yes. And I know from an African-American perspective, and we'll swing back to Mike, trust is a big deal when you're talking about police community relations, government community relations, if you will. Mike, I'm from the black community. I know how much of a pressure cooker it can be sometimes to produce results and to make some sort of headway where societal issues are concerned. Now that you're in the position what does that look like? How does that play out? What's different in this position from the inside than you thought before walking in? Yeah, um, Loaded think, question, isn't it? It is, it is. But let me try to unpack it. Um, I think that uh, what's different is the collaboration, right? It's like I realize I can't do it by myself. Hence, we, we reach out to different groups within the community to help us address this issue to collectively, right? So. Uh, with the issues of trust, I think what's what's key, and you've experienced this you know, as a part of the CPRG group, what's what's key is when law enforcement, you know, they're they're being transparent, right, in their own process as being a cop, right? Like so, how they evolved from being hardcore to, wait a minute, these are human beings that we are engaged with. Let's put that human element back into place. So, I think that is key. Um, when you have law enforcement in or, or both sides being open and honest and transparent in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, I think as long as, you know, I continue to take the collective approach, and it's not about me, it's about the, the uh, greater community, we'll be okay. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, there's so much at stake. We have, I have four children, you know, and I want them to feel safe and feel proud when, when a police officer rise, rise, you know, rise by them and not have the fear come over them, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of work is at stake, but I think we're off to a wonderful start. Mm. Can, anybody can speak to this. Do you feel the weight and the pressure overall of, of your position? Any, Tyler, you kind of snickered at that. Yeah. Speak to that a little bit. So 
if if I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be real, um, there there are, there are days where you just put your head down and you're like, I can't I can't carry it anymore. I can't. It's so intense. It's so heavy. And you t- you turn on the news and you see another case. You see you see another kid. Um, you see another family going through it. And you're like, why am I why am I trying so hard when it just keeps going? And then for me, I look over at my two little boys, and that's that's it. That's that's why I keep going. Or I get a call, or I get a message from a mom, or from from a, from a student who is struggling. It's like your your story resonated with me. Your story gave me hope. And it's I I cling to those stories with with honestly with true desperation I do I cling to them mm-hmm. because being out and being an advocate or being anybody who's going against um, the current is exhausting mm-hmm. and you need these little glimmers of hope um, to keep pushing you through and mm-hmm. so that's for me there are some days where I'm like I can't I I need someone else to do it right but at the end of the day. I know that this is my purpose and I have to, mm-hmm. I have to. Vanessa, do you feel uh, the, the weight of, of um, producing or being a responsible advocate for the Latino community? I do. I almost feel like he took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth because you do look at the news, you, you read the newspaper, you see things on social media and you're like, why? Why do I even bother? Um, it is a, it's a definite weight that it's very hard to carry, but I, I feel like I don't always have to carry it alone I have a community of support. Um, And when I mean community, I'm talking about people I don't even know. And there are those days where I'm ready to give it all up. And there'll be this one person I've never met in my life who will walk up to me and say, I just want to tell you that I have prayed for you. I admire your strength and just keep doing what you're doing and just keep fighting. And little do they know I needed that. So yes, I feel that weight. Nick, can close out our segment a little bit. Talk to us briefly about that from your perspective. Oh, I second Vanessa and also Tyler. And that goes along with Mayor Schember's uh, you know, mission that to build opportunity, restore hope, and transform Erie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how um, I get emotional here, but, but um, you know, the importance of my work until I really get into the community, you know, one day I walk, I was just like, oh my God, it's so difficult to get, to get this going. But then, because I'm just one person, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the mayor's assistant also, mm-hmm. and also the liaison to the new American. So that's two jobs basically. And I'm just one person. And one day I was like, as Tyler said, you know, down, I cannot get this going, you know, because uh, I need more resources, like Vanessa said, but then eight-year-old kid came to me and said, Niken, I saw you on TV last night. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah? What did, what did I do? And he said, you talk about Ramadan, you know, the, the uh, right. fasting month for a Muslim community. And, he, and I asked him, what do you think about it? And he said, you're doing great. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> and then another time I met somebody uh, on the street, a high school student, and she said, can, so new American can work in the city hall? Uh, can be a mayor assistant and say like, yeah, yes, you can. So I can apply, uh, you know, to the city hall after I graduate from university. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can. So here is the value of, and this is one of the reasons I was so excited about showcasing showcasing this in both of these segments. In this segment in particular, you know, every great effort needs unique vantage points. You know, I can't fake your experience. I can't fake yours, yours, or yours. And for far too long, 
from the perspective of many of us, it's been one vantage point, maybe two sometimes, making decisions for many. And so it's encouraging that you bring all of these unique perspectives to the table, you advocate for people outside of yourselves, and all of you have a ton of grit which is why you're perfect for the positions that you have. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, Vanessa Bellin, Tyler Titus, Anika Nastari Carpenter, and Michael Outlaw, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you, sir. Thank You've you been for listening to us. Next and watching Next on WQLN. So as we talk about this transitional period and the excitement in the air right now, we, can't, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the economic ramifications of everything going on in Erie. So back to that video from the Erie Community Foundation's annual meeting, there was another segment that specifically dealt with the economics of Erie. Here's what it had to say. The Erie Downtown Development Corporation is going to spark a revitalization of the region. This is going to get done. We are going to revitalize that downtown core. And as a result, you're going to see new optimism, new enthusiasm by the people of Erie. And I think it's that kind of work that we can do that will help Erie to see themselves in a different way. We have learned from other cities how to collectively organize our efforts in a cohesive way to make things happen. We also are sitting at a point in time when many corporations are making significant investments from the private sector, but we're seeing strong coalitions between the private sector and public sector unlike we've ever seen before. Our plans are done. Uh, there's now, I think, a great um, alignment. Uh, people understand where we're heading as a community. People are working together like they've never done before. This is a historic opportunity for Erie, Pennsylvania. It is the beating heart of Erie, and once our downtown is strong, the rest of our community will be even stronger. So you heard from some very important voices in the economic community here in Erie, Pennsylvania. You heard from Mike Batchelor, you heard from Tim Nicastro, Pierre McCormick, and of course you heard from John Persinger. This is the Jerry Maguire segment, the show me the money segment <laughs> of our show. We want to talk about the economic hopefulness of Erie right now with our new panelists for the second half. Uh, we bring to the show Mr. Brett Wiley, Economic well, Business Development Officer for the City of Erie. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Nicole Retzo, EDDC Vice President of Community Engagement. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Matt Wachter, EDDC Vice President of Finance and Development. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And John Persinger. CEO of EDDC. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having us, Marcus. All right. So, John, this is going to be interesting because we've had a chance to get to know you a great deal over the last year or so. And uh, we'll swing back to you. Brad, I want to start with you. City Hall, we, we spoke to a couple people already that are involved with this new administration. You're one of the new faces in City Hall. You are previously, uh, you came over from the chamber, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. I was with the chamber for about five years mm -hmm. previously. Talk about your role, existing role, a uh, role that was newly created. Talk about it a little bit. So I'm the city's first ever business development officer, mm. which fills me with pride. It also fills me with fear a little bit because I feel like there's a lot of pressure there. <laughs> okay. um, I was brought in in February really to be um, the, the customer service rep for the business community in Erie. Uh, I always use the analogy that I'm the primary care physician for the businesses in Erie. Um, I meet with them. Um, I build a relationship with them. I try to build trust with them, have candid conversations um, about their business. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What are their pressure points? And then based on that conversation, I try to problem solve 
uh, for them. And through that problem-solving process, I identify resources or specialists that I can then send them to to address those weaknesses or, or opportunities. Uh, we're often top, uh, talking access to capital, uh, land and building needs, um, process improvement, um, a wide variety of topics. So mm -hmm. um, it's my job to build a relationship, <clears throat> understand the business, and then connect them up with resources to help them um, put them in a position for sustainable, uh, sustainable growth. Good deal. So, uh, Nicole, you're from Clymer, New York. I am. Native of that area. You were the director of development at the Erie Zoo before. Yes. So you went from dealing with lions and tigers and bears to <laughs> dealing with lions, tigers and bears in a different yeah, sense. Right. Talk about your new role at the EDDC. So you are the sure. vice president of community engagement. Yeah. What well, does that mean? Well, I've actually spent um, most of my career in fundraising. So I've worked with not so much lions, tigers and bears, but really a lot of people gotcha. who are interested in making positive change in the community. So it's really not that different. Um, I'm still um, working with a lot of leaders in our community. My role at uh, EDDC is really um, keeping the, making sure that the community is a part of everything that we do. Um, you know, five, ten years down the road, Erie is going to look very, very different, um, but it's also going to feel different. So I think it's not just about creating beautiful spaces and, you know, making sure that the buildings are beautiful, but it's about bringing the people along or else it's for nothing. So, you know, it's really about the people is what we're, um, is why we're doing what we're doing. So that's, that's what my role is about. The community engagement piece can be a challenge. I don't care from what different job perspective. I want to circle back to you on that. Matt Wachter, so master's degree in tax law, extensive experience in federal opportunity zones, which obviously comes in handy with this particular position. And an article from the newspaper said you work with Upstart Businesses and Gannon University's Technology Incubator. So I want to talk about your role as the vice president of financial development. Am I saying that correctly? What does that mean and how is that playing out for you so far? Well, Marcus, thank you very much for having us here today. Um, I've had a chance, I'm trained as a transactional tax attorney and I worked in private practice for a number of years and then I was given the chance uh, to take this position at the EDC and it was a real opportunity uh, for me to be at the forefront of what a lot of people here have said recently about the optimism and I think a once in, not so once in a career, but I think a once in a generational opportunity to revitalize and restore this downtown core of the city of Erie and then expand out. Um, and that's why I'm able to do, well, that's why I took the position, that's why, and that's what I see as my role here with this great team. So, I mean, we get into a lot of the nuts and bolts on what are we looking at for property, how are we gonna structure a transaction, how the heck are we gonna pay for it, uh, all of those things day to day, but uh, we're all in. And, you know, it's funny, when I took the position in my job description, there was something called other uh, duties as assigned. So I think tonight, we'll get into what we're up to tonight, but it's going to be directing uh, food trucks uh, out in uh, Perry Square. So, so we, are, uh, we are very hands-on right now. Excellent. John, we, we come to you, and um, I have to tell you, it's been, I spoke extensively on just the type of campaign that was run. I had to say this while I have you here with you and Mayor Schember. The whole city was proud. It, we felt like either way it goes, we couldn't go wrong. But I think it, it just kind of restored the tone even before people actually went to the polls to elect a mayor. And you were a big part of it. So kudos for that. 
first of all. Second of all, when it comes to your position, I was pleasantly surprised that Erie Insurance did something that we tend to not do in Erie. We think that the solution is somewhere else all the time. We need somebody to take this. This is a big responsibility. We need to take her by the wheel and, and take us to the finish line, and we'll look abroad. And they found what they needed in their own backyard, and that was you. How excited were you when they approached you about this position? It caught me off guard, first of all, because it was something that was not on my radar. I never stopped practicing law during the campaign. So the day after the campaign, I went back to the office, went back to responding to clients' needs, and went back to a process of figuring out how I can make a difference, how I can make a difference with our team that was involved in the campaign. Was continuing in that role and took a little vacation at the end of December when I got a phone call from Tim DeCastro, who's the CEO of Erie Insurance and who's also the president of the board of EDDC. And he asked me to come interview for this position. To be honest, it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something I was thinking about. I spent some time with Tim, and he was the one who convinced me. If you've spent time with Tim, you can yeah, tell how passionate he is, how enthusiastic he is about the city. It's his hometown. In addition to being a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, he's really committed to Erie, and so are all the board members. So what I found intriguing was the opportunity to work with that group and this team that we've assembled to really help transform the downtown core. Mm. So I want to stay with you for a second before we swing it back to the rest of the team. There was a photo I saw in the newspaper, and we'll pull that up right now. And uh, obviously this is being talked about quite a bit. First deal's done. Big smile on your face, shaking hands. Unpack this photo and this article for us. Tell us about that. That's right. So the question that I got a lot was, what's going to be the first property? And a lot of people thought we were going to do something small, something that wasn't really of significance. But I think Erie's problem has been chasing after small wins. And that's not something we want to do. Mm. We signed up for transformational change. So with this project, with this first set of properties, that's what we've gotten into. It is eight properties. It's 118,000 square feet. It fronts North Park Row. It's got great commercial space on the ground floor, but underutilized spaces on the second and third floors. So we saw this as a unique opportunity to get a cluster of properties together and really make an impact and transform the downtown core. So we are talking about large-scale wins. Nicole, is this somewhat intimidating? Matt, I'll throw that at you as well before we come back to Brett. Is this somewhat intimidating? I don't think it's intimidating, actually. I think that, and I am with a great team of visionary thinkers. Our board is, I would certainly put in that category yeah, as well. Board. We really, really do. And they are so deeply invested. So for us, um, we have gone into this from day one as this is a no-fail project. Mm -hmm. And is it big? Absolutely. But um, we probably wouldn't have signed up for anything else. So yeah, I mean, it's very, very exciting to us. Is it a big job? It's massive. Mm -hmm. But 10 years from now, we're going to get to look back and say that we were a part of making that change. So. so Matt, for you, when I say is this intimidating, I'm going to throw an extra twist in that because I know a little bit about your family. You come from a family of achievers, man. Thank you. That, that has to come with its yeah. own pressures. But is, is all of this intimidating for you right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, this is a huge challenge. Um, you know, this is a landmark acquisition. And like John, to John's point, we're not in this for small wins. I mean, I left a fantastic career, sort of Nicole, sort of John, to do this. And we wouldn't do it if we were in for small stakes. Mm -hmm. We're all in. Uh, but to Nicole's point, this is going to happen. Uh, we are absolutely going to make this happen. And we've got a board that is full steam ahead. Um, 
so is it a challenge? Yes. Uh, but at the end of the day, we were able to, because of the support from board of directors, which is the community in a lot of ways, uh, have a landmark uh, acquisition, and then hopefully this is a shining star here right on North Park Row mm -hmm. uh, for the community going forward for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 50 years. So Brett, you talk about swinging for the fences. You already pointed out the fact that your position is a brand new position yes. at City Hall. Um, where economic development is concerned, give us a, a sneak or peek into the landscape of City Hall. Is yours the only new position and what other positions really uh, come into play with economic development? Yeah, so historically our office has really been a community development office. Um, it, it really has uh, focused on managing HUD funds, the CDBG funds, and the home funds, um, which were, are, are very important tools for our community. Uh, the new director who came in with Mayor Schember, Chris Groner, really wanted to increase our economic development capacity. Um, so he hired me as the business developer, uh, development officer, and we also uh, promoted um, Abby Skinner to the to be the first time um, full-time grant writer um, for our department. So really what we're trying to do with our department is uh, a couple different things. Uh, we're trying to be more active in the business community. Uh, we've already met with probably over 200 companies just this year, face-to-face, uh, -face, uh, shaking hands with business owners, learning about their business, trying to help. Um, we're trying to increase our lending capacity. We play a very specific role in business finance. We do a lot of gap financing. We provide financing for deals that otherwise may not happen without our money. Uh, we've also created um, the first ever flagship fund micro grant program, which is a bucket of about $50,000 that we've allocated uh, for small businesses. Um, and they are it's grant money. And we wanna uh, allocate that money to small businesses who are in position to grow, create jobs, um, invest in the community. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really we're, we're trying to increase our economic development activity in that office. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that those are the steps that we've taken thus far. So it goes with John's statement of we're talking about big wins here. You know, we're swinging for the fences. I want to touch on something else. So you know, between both segments, we have eight individuals that are at the epicenter of Erie's growth, of Erie's forward movement. And at 48, I'm older than everybody in this room. John, what does it mean to have this many influential people in Erie of a certain age demographic? Because you think about politics and business, you think old white men. And I don't have any of that on the show right now. What is the, the, the youth movement of all of this? How, how is that vital to everything going on in Erie, in your opinion? It's so critical. What I see here at the table, what we saw in your earlier panel with your guests, is that there are people of a younger generation in the community who are stepping up now. Erie's been through 60 years of decline, and I think it's motivated a lot of us who are of this generation to really say, okay, we've got to figure this out ourselves. We're willing to put ourselves forward. We're willing to make controversial statements that will push change. We'll get some pushback, some blowback from the community because they don't like change, because things have been done the same way forever. But after 60 years where we've lost significant amount of population, where we've had economic decline, I think our generation recognizes that if we want a future here, a future for ourselves and for our kids, we have to step up and make a difference now. Mm -hmm. And so you set me up perfectly. That was the exact reason I wanted to come back to Nicole on this community engagement thing. Change has traditionally been an issue 
in Erie, Pennsylvania. So where community engagement is, what are your goals and what have you seen so far now that you're in this position and are maybe looking at it differently because it ties into your job title? Sure. Well, I think that there, there will always be some resistance to change. Um, but I also think that's part of why you see the people in the room that you see now. So folks of our generation, I think, are more um, inclined to kind of take a chance and have that optimistic attitude. You know, I really appreciate at the Community Foundation's annual meeting, the whole theme of their event was Our Time Is Now. And I really feel like, um, you know, for people um, of our generation, our time really is now. For everyone in Erie, across the city, no matter where you're from, what part of the community, um, our time is now, and we really do need to step up. Mm -hmm. so. We've noticed, I mean, we've always, I think we have a plethora of, of knowledge where our, our wiser citizens are concerned. You're always going to need your Pierre McCormick's, your Fred Rushes. Mm -hmm. That I think we're strong in. Uh, what I'm encouraged by now is that now you have that next level, because it has to be generational, right? Mm -hmm. If we're talking about sustainability. And that personally is what excites me about all of this. Matt. Opportunity zones. Sure. That was just in a newspaper a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months yeah. ago. Why is that a big topic right now? I know it's, it's a very nuanced conversation, but if you can briefly help the, the average listener or viewer appreciate, what does that mean for Erie right now? This, the city of Erie is actually at the, at the forefront nationally uh, and within the state itself in this new, in, in my world, so I'm a tax lawyer. This is not exciting stuff generally, <laughs> right? And and uh, we were not the cool kids in school, but, but we all of a sudden are because of this. And what it is, is it's a federal tax, it's a provision in the federal tax bill. And kudos to the mayor, the mayor's economic team, county, Senator Laughlin. They all got us at the forefront, right in front of the governor, and we were able to have census tracts designated as opportunity zones in the city of Erie and along the waterfront. And the whole EDDC, EDDC footprint, which is phenomenal. What's that mean? Well, on a federal level, people are able to invest money into these areas, postpone having to pay some only federal taxes for a limited period of time, uh, invest money into communities that are really low income, underserved, and we're in zip code 165501. It's the poorest zip code in the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. uh, this allows Money to be invested in those areas and real tax benefits that allow the development to occur because the development simply wouldn't otherwise. But the interesting thing that people need to note is that these tax benefits, they're at the federal level. There's no cut to city taxes. There's no cut to state revenue. So as kind of a aside, this is the most bipartisan tax thing, bill, portion of the tax bill ever to come out because what do we want? We want to be able to get money invested into the core of the city of Erie to boost the tax base for the school district, boost the tax base for the county, boost the tax base for the city. I mean, this, is, this is a real chance, and it's starting a lot of conversations mm -hmm. about investment in our community that just simply wouldn't have occurred otherwise. And Brett and I have been at the forefront of a lot of those, and it's really exciting stuff. Brett, with you coming from City Hall, let's talk about the symbiotic relationship between groups like this and groups like the guests on our first segment. Sure. Because you've got a lot of different departments. Obviously, um, Nikon and Michael both are with you at City Hall. Yep. <clears throat> you've got the role that um, Kathy Rosdick plays yep. in city planning. Uh, when I look at economic development, uh, development, I think that that has always been there. People are always looking at, or at least the attention on that has always been there. Mm -hmm. How do we 
um, build Erie financially, make it sustainable, things along those lines. And you've got a group over here that are dealing with kind of the soul of Erie, mm -hmm. you know, the, the community outlook, the community engagement, some of what Nicole is doing mm -hmm. as well. Why is it important for both of these sectors to continually work together, if that makes any sense, uh, the, way, the way they're doing now? Because I know the City Hall has a holistic approach yeah. to this conversation. Yeah, I mean, the short answer, they go hand in hand, right? Economic development, community development go hand in hand. Just a couple of ex examples to maybe elaborate on that. Um, when I first started, one of the first things I did, I went upstairs, introduced myself to Michael Outlaw, and you know, told him, hey, I, I, I read your article. I have a, some understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. What can we do together? Mm -hmm. How can we work together to both achieve our goals, right? Um, this opportunity zone designation is, a, is another example of that. Um, we've been working in coordination with this team here, um, developing an investment prospectus. Part of the investment prospectus is not only to create um, economic opportunities for real estate developers or high net worth individuals, but it's also to um, formulate a plan so that that growth can be inclusive and equitable across all segments of our community. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're really mindful about uh, of that, that when we talk about growth and we talk about economic development, um, it can't just be the rich getting richer. It, it needs to, uh, there needs to be a plan on how that wealth creation can reverberate across the community mm -hmm. so that everybody shares in it. Mm -hmm. I want to bring that pressure question back because I dodged John with that. But you know, it's noticeable that to have an opportunity to be mentored in this way by Tim DeCastro, um, by um, Tom Hagen, mm -hmm. you know, one of the most iconic personalities in the state, in the country, if you will. Mm -hmm. What has that been like to, to learn from two men that have such storied histories? I'm in such a fortunate position to be under the tutelage of both those men. They have both had such impressive careers. I think more importantly, they're decent men. Mm. They care about the community. They care about their employees. They've been very generous with their time with me. I'm really in a fortunate position. Like I said, if it was someone else, I don't know if, who was the board of pres president of the board. I don't know if I would have signed up, but it really was the opportunity to work with Tim, to work with Tom, to work with some of the other board members to create transformational change in downtown area. And, um, I've been very, very fortunate and appreciative of their efforts. Mm -hmm. So you guys have something special going on uh, today. Talk about that a little bit. Any of you guys can kind of chime in. Matt, you talked a little bit about food trucks. <laughs> All right. Talk about that a little bit. What does that mean? What are you guys doing today? Well, we're very excited. We're going to have a, uh, the first stop in what we're calling Erie's Comeback Tour. Uh, at 4.30, uh, the festivities will begin. We're going to have... We've got three bands, the food trucks, some of the microbreweries lined up, but it's really an opportunity to celebrate uh, this landmark acquisition of uh, North Park Row and to thank our board of directors and the community behind that's really behind this. Uh, mm -hmm. The support uh, that we've had has just been phenomenal. And without what we're calling this patient capital that's been pledged to make these things happen, it, they simply wouldn't. Um, so, like we said, we're in for big wins, uh, transformational change, and this is the, uh, uh, the first stop uh, as that momentum builds. Mm -hmm. What can people expect from that? Nicole, go ahead. Sure. Well, I just wanted to say I appreciate what Matt had to say. This is the first stop. So a big part of our mission is to bring people and life and activity to downtown. So you will see a lot 
coming from the EDDC, whether they are, you know, small, simple, one-time events or, um, you know, things in Perry Square where, you know, the whole community comes together. But for us, it is very, very important that we bring the community together and make them a part of everything that we're doing. Mm -hmm. The Urban Land Institute came to town and they talked a little bit about, well, they analyzed a lot of what was going on in Erie. Uh, they had a lot of interviews. I was uh, privileged to be a part of that whole process. And when they reported out, I was there that Friday. And they just talked about overcoming, you know, some of the negativity out there. And they talked a lot about the positives and suggestions. There were some unique uh, housing models that they unveiled that day. Uh, John, give us an idea of what you were thinking as you listened to this, uh, this report at the end of the week from them. So honestly, none of it was a surprise. If you've been to any other city in America, you wouldn't be surprised. There's cities across America, across the world, who are doing different things than us, and that's why they are growing, that's why they are thriving. We've been kind of stuck in our ways for the last 60 years, and while we've been stuck in our ways, the world has been passing us by. Mm. So some of those recommendations, they weren't something that would be new or different or something we wouldn't be uh, unaware of. It was just a matter of bringing it to Erie and showing the community that this is going on in the rest of the world. We've got to step up our game if we don't want to be left behind. Very quickly, we, we study Cincinnati quite a bit. If you can help the average listener or viewer appreciate why Cincinnati, was it about that city's economic development that is of such keen interest to Erie right now? Cincinnati has a model that has been um, seen across America as really setting the standard. The Cincinnati Center City Development Corporation is a private initiative. They raised private capital to acquire and redevelop properties. They also acquired and redeveloped public spaces. They've got some amazing parks that they've not only brought in uh, playground equipment, a swimming pool, a dog park, but they also program those parks. So they've been with this private money very active in terms of turning around an area right next to their downtown. We saw this as an opportunity uh, that was recommended to us to go visit them. Our board has been out there. I've been out there. We are headed there again next Monday. They've been incredibly generous with their time in terms of sharing lessons learned and providing advice and guidance to us. But the reason why it's so important is for us to finally recognize that the state government's not coming to bail us out. The federal government's not coming to bail us out. Cincinnati, they stepped up. They did it themselves. That's a model that we could replicate here. Mm -hmm. Matt, when people talk to you about all the change going on in Erie, and they say, what makes this so different? We've tried a lot of things. We've tried a lot of plans. Mike made a, uh, alluded to that in an earlier segment. We've issued a lot of plans. We've done a lot of, so what sure. makes this so different? What do you tell people when they ask you things like that? You know, change for the sake of change uh, is pointless. We're in this for progress, and we need to make, uh, we need, we're now at the point where we're making these first steps, one first step being very large, uh, to have transform transformational change, uh, and that's where we're at. We have a lot of plans. They're great blueprints. Uh, we can look at them. There's a lot of wisdom in those plans. There's a lot of great guidance uh, that we can use moving forward, but in the day-to-day, -day, sort of on the ground, here we are on, uh, in your studio today, and every day we're working right on State Street, and we we can see some of the challenges that are out there that we need to help address. And um, in the role that I'm in, we're really at the forefront of that. And it's gonna be a very exciting next few, uh, six months, year, three years from now, five years from now, as we can see a lot of those, uh, not change for the sake of change, but progress uh, come to fulfillment. Mm -hmm. the, the theme of that video we showed was our time is now. Brett, from a, a city hall perspective, why is this our time to really capitalize on this opportunity? Well, I think everyone uh, in the community has 
really coalesced around the Erie Refocus plan that came out a few years ago. I think the, the manner in which that plan was delivered, the candor, kind of the blunt delivery that said, listen, if you keep doing things the same way, you're, you're going to perish, right? You have to change. Um, I think that really served as a catalyst for this moment today. You, for the first time, you had private sector leaders, you had the philanthropic community, you had civic leaders really coming together for the first time um, with a singular purpose to, to move this city uh, forward. Mm -hmm. And I think right now what you're starting to see is kind of the manifestation of that. Um, the plans were great, it catalyzed us. I think what you're seeing in these two segments are the action, right? Mm -hmm. The folks that are involved uh, in actually getting their hands dirty, um, putting that sweat equity into the change that needs to happen to really, um, I think, realize our potential as a city. So I have to say in closing that this whole idea of the comeback tour <laughs> with the block party style, you know, it, this is, that says a lot to this generational thing that we're talking about. You know, no, no stuffy announcement. <laughs> it's like, hey, come on out, let's kick it and talk about where we're going. I love the whole concept of it. So I, I just want to thank you guys for bringing this new energy to the table. And as an area, we're pulling for you. We want to see you pull this off. We want to be instrumental in doing whatever we can to help move this forward. Anything, um, a last reminder about what's going on today and what's going on moving forward, John. So this is a team effort, and we can't do it alone. We've got great partners at the city. We've got great partners throughout the community, Surveyory, all the other neighborhood groups. This really is a team effort to turn around downtown. So we're going to need people's help turning around downtown. We're going to need their ideas. We're going to need them to come downtown. People often ask me how they can get involved. I said, here's something simple. Go outside of your office and buy a cup of coffee from Ember and Forge. Go buy some cookies from the sweet shop and take it home. Do this on a weekend when there's no one around. Do this on a weeknight when there's no one around. Those are ways for people to get involved. But we're going to have some more events and activities coming up, and there are other ways for people to get involved. We have the Flagship City uh, Book Festival coming at the end of the month. We have Gallery Night going on at the Cashier's House uh, in the middle of this month. We have an event that we're working with the Children's Museum. Nicole, chime in if I'm missing anything. <laughs> <clears throat> we're working on some maybe um, Harvest Weekend Days with yeah. some other groups. But we're trying to pull all these groups together to have some events, activities, really get some life in downtown Erie once again. Mm. So you've been listening to some of our new and more influential voices in Erie from our economic sector, from our community sector. I want to thank you all for coming on the show today. Brett Weiler, Nicole Retzel, Matt Wachter, and John Persinger. Thank you so much for all that you do today. I mean, in community today. And uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, you've been listening and watching Next on WQLN Radio. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you get an opportunity, go to our Facebook page and like us. Uh, follow us at Twitter on 814NEXT. And uh, listen to us on the fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. at 91.3 FM. Thank you for your time, and we will see you next time.